Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you're listening online, you didn't miss anything. All right. So we're glad you're here. If uh, you're new here, my name is Mark. I'm glad to have a chance to share his word uh, with you this morning. And, and my challenge for you is to just keep your ears open to his voice uh, more so than mine. It, uh, it's, it's one word from him that can just uh, radically affect and change your life. Uh, and, and that's our hope this morning that that may happen uh, here in this place and wherever you may be listening. So a couple of weeks ago, we started a series called uh, Straight Out of the Shallows. Getting out of the shallows, it's, uh, talking about how, you know, the first time you jumped in the deep end of a pool, you never wanted to go back to the shallow end. You never wanted to go back to the kiddie pool after you'd experienced the deep end. And we talked about how, you know, if you go fishing, you never want to go back to catching, you know, like carp out of the creek when you can catch, you know, the big pike up north. You just don't want to go back to it. You know, if you're in a relationship that, uh, that you know, you're starting a relationship and it goes deeper, you never want to go back to just being friends. You want those things to go deeper. And we talked about how spiritually that should be the way we are. Uh, are as well, that there's this draw in our hearts to, to go deeper in our, in our faith and to leave the shallows. And the reason we so encourage people to leave the shallows is because the shallow waters spiritually, it'll never keep you. It's a dangerous place to be. It might be entertaining to go to church every week and say, oh, I'll sit in the, I'll sit in the seat and just watch and I'll come back next week. That will not keep you. It will run out of gas at some point. You won't be engaged. You won't really grow simply uh, doing that. You don't learn to swim in the shallow end. It's in those places where you go deeper. And so just going to church, just listening to a podcast or whatever, if that's the, if that's the fullness of your faith, it's a shallow end and it's a dangerous place to be. Um, we encourage our young people, same thing. Get out of the shallow end as early as you can because once you start going to university and places where it gets challenged, you want to have something deeper down in there that carries you, carries you through and actually uh, affects the world around you. And so we gave you a few suggestions of how you can go deeper, how you can grow deeper. Uh, the first week we talked about read the word for yourself. We have so, so uh, many people, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you read your Bible? No. And we said that should be something that changes to grow deeper. And so I challenged people to join us as we read through the book of John, 21 days, reading it for yourself, reading and saying, God, what are you saying to me? And what do I do with what I'm learning? And 41 of you texted me and said, hey, we'll do that with you. I don't know how many of you were still doing it at the end, but I love that 41 of you started to take that step. And so we've completed John and today we started uh, going through Acts. So if you'd like to join me, you're like, you know what? I wasn't in part of John, but I want to do Acts. Just text me. You can find my number on all kinds of papers all around here. Just text me uh, and uh, just write the word Acts and I'll send you a, a reminder text each morning as you read through scripture with us, listening to what God may want to be uh, sharing in, in your heart and teaching you. And then we said, join a Bible study or join a group. It's amazing how much you grow when there's accountability. When someone asks you, hey, what did you learn last week? And what did you do with what you learned? Oh man, you grow. And so we encourage you to join one and you can still do that as well. Uh, We said, join a serving team where he said, you got to work out what God is working in you. He's put stuff in your heart to share, not to just take it all in, take it all in, but to actually live that out and live out your faith. Man, you'll grow deeper. And so this morning, I want to take a look at one last thing. This wasn't part of the series that I was listening to uh, with Jamie Dickens. He was talking about getting out of the shallows. He had some different thoughts. This wasn't part of it. And as I was thinking, oh, it'd be easy just to carry on with what uh, some of the things he was talking about. This one just would not leave me. And so this morning, I want to talk about one more way to leave the shallows behind. And there's no sign-up card for this one. Like last week, people were like, that's genius. He made everybody take a card. And, you know, as he wrote, they they had to join something. Uh, Well, not everybody did. Some of you were sneaky. You put empty ones in the the thing. And so, but I've been praying about it and the Lord's revealing your names to me. I will be calling you. 
No, I'm just kidding. But that encouragement, that encouragement to, um, to, to join up this morning, there's no card for it. Because I know even if there was a card, you would not sign up for it. I wouldn't sign up for it. But the more I read scripture, the more I see this over and over and over again. And the reason why I want to talk about this this morning is it's a really great motivator for leaving the shallows. It is a great motivator to leave the shallows. Uh, and, and some, once you hear about it, you'll leave the shallows and be going towards the deep end uh, with, in your faith. Others will hear about it and you'll leave the shallows and you'll just leave faith altogether. And we see that happen all the time. And this morning, my hope is that by talking about it, we may have more that once they experience this, go to the deep end of their faith as opposed to leaving faith altogether. For some Jesus followers here this morning, this is the reason why you don't go deeper in your faith. There's this trust issue with you and the Lord that you're just like, I don't know if I can really trust him. For non-Jesus followers here this morning, this might be the reason why you're like, I don't think I can believe in a God like that. I don't think I can follow him. It's, It's this. And we're going to look at that in a second. But before we do, Netflix made a big announcement this week. I don't know if you were listening on the radio as I was, but they are bringing back Seinfeld, the whole thing in 2021. And some of you are like, well, yeah, it's, sure. Uh, as I listened to this uh, radio thing, they were like, why would anybody you know, want to watch reruns from years and years ago? And other people kept calling and saying, it doesn't matter you know, what uh, age or what um, uh, decade you're in. Seinfeld just seems to be relevant, just seems to connect with something in everybody. And I thought, you know, this morning is similar to that. We're running a Kingsway rerun this morning. We talked about this three years ago. I looked it up. It's, um, you can find it. We're not sharing the full things, but if there's something this morning that triggers you, I would encourage you to go back to 2016, Google on our website, Got Questions, and look up this question and just see what God may have to, to share with you, more to share with you on this topic. So let's jump in this morning. Have you ever heard someone ask this question? Why or how does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Maybe it's one of the things, conversations you have with friends and they're like, ah, I just don't know if I can believe in a God that would allow bad things to happen to good people. Look at all the starvation. Look at, look at uh, the human trafficking. Look at all this. How can, look at what happened in my life. Look what happened to me as a child. How can there be, how can there be a God? Maybe for you, it's the question, why does God allow suffering? I, I, don't, I don't understand this whole idea of suffering, of bad things happening. And maybe you've asked the question, you know, maybe, maybe you've heard, how many of you heard other people ask those questions? We'll do show of hands for that one. You've ever heard that before? Yeah, it's pretty common questions. How many of you know show of hands? How many of you have heard it up here before? You know, I've heard your own mouth asking these questions. Sometimes maybe you've had the, the boldness to ask somebody. You say, hey, I want to kind of want to know why these, these kind of things are happening. And somebody may say, you know, well, we just don't understand God's ways. His ways are higher than ours. You'll never understand. Or they'll tell you, you know what? God must have a plan for this somewhere in there. God's trying to teach you something. If you would just learn it, suffering would leave. Or maybe, you know, it's suffering at the loss of a loved one. And it's like, well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. He caused that car accident. Or even things where you hear of natural disasters happening. The Bahamas getting some of those islands wiped out. Oh, their sin must have been worse than everyone else's sin. It's God's judgment on that nation for something. Or one of the ones I heard a lot is, okay, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. That's a 19th century hymn. That's not in the Bible. As we think about these things, maybe it's you, maybe it's someone you know. 
wrestles with this thought of suffering, wrestles with the thought of how can these bad things be happening? How could a good God allow that to happen? And maybe you're here this morning, you're listening, and these are the thoughts that hinder you from going deeper with God. I don't know if I can trust. I don't know if I can trust him. I'm not sure I can trust him if on one day he loves me and the next he's got some suffering waiting for me. I'll just stay in the shallows. For some, that's the reason you can't put your trust in God. Like I can't trust a God to, who, who in one hand could be good and the other, these, these things I don't understand. And so this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about it. The questions that anger, have you ever heard people are angry at God for what God's doing in their life? God, why are you doing this to me? That, those questions, that anger, they, they assume a few things. They assume that there is evil in this world, which we would agree. They assume that there are good people in this world. Usually when the person's saying it, they think they're the good person. Why could, why could God allow you know, bad stuff to happen to good people? God, in some way, they assume that he has a hand in, the, in, the, in the causing or allowing the evil and suffering that's happening and that somehow God is not good or not to be trusted fully as a result. And so this morning, I want to give you a few things to consider. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for conversations you'll have as a result of this. Could it be that there's a different cause of suffering? Could it be that, you know, the fact that we experience suffering on this planet has nothing to do with, with uh, God causing it? I'd like, to, I'd like to challenge you to think about a few things this morning. Number one, Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and have everything he created. What did he say? It is it's good. It's good. Why is it good? Because he is good. He is good. Everything he creates is good. And for some of you, are like, I don't know if I believe the whole Genesis thing. You know, Genesis 1 to 11, I think that was just a story, and that's probably part of the story. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I agree with that. Well, we've got better evidence than that. John, a Jesus follower, after his, living his whole life, experiencing all kinds of evil things around him, watching his friends die, some of them by crucifixion, obviously his friend Jesus dying by crucifixion, watching the other Jesus followers being... Um, going through incredible suffering. Later on, at the end of his life, he writes this letter, 1 John uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. This is what we heard from Jesus, and we declare it to you that God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. John, you sure about that? Look at all the stuff that happened to your buddies. Yeah, but I'm convinced that there's no darkness in him. There's something else going on here, but it's, it's not him. You know, as we learn that God created the planet, created a good, God gave responsibility of this good planet to somebody. He gave it to these people. He calls man, calls them Adam and Eve. And we know the story is as Adam and Eve choose to disobey God, uh, they bring this thing called sin to the planet. They bring this thing called sin. And sin, you know, we, we think about the thought, oh, so they ate the apple. What's the big deal? The big deal is that perfection was now broken and that it had bigger consequences than anybody ever expected. They did not expect that taking, you know, disobeying God by taking that, that piece of fruit would, be, would have such, such incredible consequences. And they weren't the only ones to think that. But it's what happened. Sin entered this planet and everything's broken as a result. Romans tells us this. Paul says to the Romans, by one man's disobedience, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners or all were made sinners because Adam and Eve were affected by it, but we were infected by it, every single one of us. See, that's where the argument sometimes of asking, why does bad things, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Are there really any good people? I think here, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I think, you know, I think I'm pretty good. If I compare myself to my neighbor, you know, <laughs> I'm almost Jesus. If I compare myself, you know, to Hitler, man, I, I'm good. 
But I'd encourage you for a moment just to take a goodness test with me. Goodness test, you know, the, some may look at it as the Ten Commandments. Have you, ever, have you ever lied? You don't have to show hands, it's okay. Have you ever stolen anything? You know, five cents out of mom's purse as a child, candy at the, at the corner store, pencil from work. That's called borrowing, Mark. Ever had one of those? You know, ever had lustful thoughts about a woman or a man? It's like, oh, now it's getting a little hot in here. See, we always think, you know, oh, you know, I've been good compared to, but we compare it to the wrong things. And as we look at, you know, God's test of perfection, every one of us fails. And it's because we're broken on the inside. And so we think, oh, you know, somehow we don't deserve evil. We don't deserve suffering happening on this planet. We kind of flip the script. And we say, hey, we're good and God must be evil. And actually, it's the other way around. There's a brokenness in us. And sometimes that idea of thinking, oh, you know, we don't deserve, that may be a, that may be a problematic um, foundation to be on. See, man was given this perfection, given this opportunity, and man gave it all away. They gave the responsibility of this planet. They said, I, we don't want you to be God. We want to be God. But in doing that, they actually said to, to Satan, here, you get to be God of this planet. For some of you here, you think, man, but I thought God was in control of everything. I thought God is sovereign. His hand is over everything. I sang about it. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. Oh, you sang it too. And we think about that and we think, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's, that must be true because there's a song written about it. Don't take that advice. Otherwise, Taylor Swift, you know, I believe everything she says too. That thought, he's got the whole world in his hand. Sometimes we think, we're tempted to think that God's controlling everything. But if that's true, if that's true that God, the God of the universe, the good God of the universe is managing everything on the planet, he's a pretty lousy manager. How did he put all the food in this part of the world and the continent? We got starvation in Africa all over the place. How do we have slavery? How do we have uh, human trafficking? How do we have disease? How do we have poverty? How do we have hunger? How does that happen under his rule? If we think about it, man, it's pretty easy to think that that could be possibly be under the rule of, of, of somebody else, under the rule of an enemy. You know, just listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus referred to the devil as the prince of this world. The prince, the ruler of this world. He, says about, he talks about in John 12, John 14, you can look it up if you don't believe me. Satan tempted Jesus. Remember the temptation? He says, here, just bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. How can he give away what he doesn't actually own? That'd be like my kids coming up to me, Dad, hey, I'm going to give you that white car in the driveway. That's my car. You, you can't give me my, my car. But Jesus' response to him isn't, you can't give me those kingdoms. They're not yours. He simply says, I'm not going to worship you. You will not be God in my life. Uh, there is no other God but, but him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the earth is under enemy occupation. This earth is not functioning under God's design. There's enemy occupation. It says, and the residents have joined in the rebellion and the residents are being born and held in this slavery, awaiting freedom. It is a broken, broken world. Sin, this cause of evil, this cause of pain, this cause of suffering didn't just affect people. It actually affects the whole planet. Because for some, you wrestle with these, these acts of God, these things like, how can these hurricanes and all these things happen? God should be able to stop. He should be in control. Here's what Romans 8 says. Paul writes the Romans and explains it to them this way. Verse 20, against its will, all creation. Just read that, against its own will. This was not the creation's desire. It wasn't like, hey, everything's so good. I wish it was worse. It says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. The law of sin that leads to death is what it was subjected to. 
It says, but with eager hope, verse 21, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's like the planet is hurting. The whole planet is sick. And every once in a while, it just throws up. And we name them Hurricane Imelda or whatever her name is this time. The earthquakes that happen, it's like the whole planet is just affected by this thing called sin. Hurricanes, earthquakes, you know, they're not God's judgment on the planet. That's not what's happening in those times. It's not because the people in the Bahamas were worse sinners than others. It's the fact that sin is just wrecking the whole planet. And it's causing suffering. Believe me, it's causing suffering to people all over. But could it be that it's sin and it's not God that's causing the evil and suffering on the planet? And when we're so quick to say, oh, it must be his hand, maybe it's not. You know, the enemy loves to tempt us to think that there is no enemy. He loves to tempt us to think that God's the one control of everything and that somehow he's evil and not to be trusted. And that has, that's not new. As I was reading uh, over the people of Israel, they went to Mount Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments and God put on a show for them. So they would know, I'm your God and I'm powerful. It says that as they were, well, here, we'll just read it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw flashes of lightning and smoke billowing from the mountain. Can you picture that for a minute? There's like this massive volcano and a thunderstorm all happening at the same time. They all stood at a distance, trembling with what? Fear. God must be scary. He's out to get us. They said, to, they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak directly to us or we're going to die. We just want the shallows. We just want secondhand faith. We don't, we, we're happy just, sit, Mark, you study the word and tell us what it says. We don't want to do that. Mark, you are the one, you should be praying for us. We don't want to talk to God directly. Here's what they were saying with Moses. We're scared of him. We think, we think God's got our, our worst interests in mind. And Moses says to them, don't be afraid. God's coming this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. He's got your good in mind. Sin keeps leading to death, keeps leading to death. He's not wanting you to go that way. But you know what? They didn't listen. They simply responded to this fear, thinking God's out to get them in some way. And I love how Jesus comes to the planet simply to show us, you know, what this invisible God, for some are like, man, how do we know God's invisible? How do we know how he would treat people? How do we know how he would interact with, with me? Look at the life of Jesus. Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians, Colossians 1 verse 15. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at the life of Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. What does God sound like? Listen to how Jesus talked. Well, how would God treat people? Listen to how Jesus treats people. As we read through John, let me just by show of hands, be careful how you answer this. How many of you, as you read through John, you saw Jesus use sickness to teach someone a lesson? Oh, I didn't read that either. How many of you read through um, John and you realized that God, uh, that Jesus came and said, you know, we're going to put some suffering on your life for a little while. Never saw it. Never saw it. He didn't bring pain. He didn't bring suffering. He didn't bring death. John actually said, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, there's an enemy that comes to kill, comes to steal, comes to destroy. And Jesus says, but I've come that you may have life, that you might have it in abundance. Did Jesus come to teach some lessons? Sure he did. But when he did, they were clear. <laughs> when he let Lazarus stay in that grave for four days, he walked over and he begins praying out loud saying, listen, 
Father, I'm praying out loud to you. I know you hear me. I just want these guys listening to my prayer to know that you hear me. Lazarus, come out of the grave. And they're like, oh, God hears this man. Why? Because he teaches a lesson that's clear. If you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know why I'm going through this. God, what lesson are you trying to teach me? He can clearly find a way to tell you if he's teaching you a lesson. But it may not be a lesson. It may not be a lesson. And if you're like, God, I don't know if I can hear your voice. Man, he used donkeys and roosters to talk to people in, in the Bible. He will find a way to make it clear. But the enemy loves that shrouded mystery of stay away from God, stay away from the deep end, keep your distance from him. He causes you to think that suffering may be God's will for your life. And this is where I need you to listen real carefully because it may be true, but it's not always the case. And I want you to think about this as we finish this, this thought this morning. When we look at the thing of suffering, we talk about suffering, you know people are suffering. You maybe experience it yourself. You're like, I, it keeps us at a distance. And you wonder, is it the will of God for my life? Here's the thought. First John chapter three. Jesus came to show us the will of God for our lives. Verse, verse eight, when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the son of God, what did he do? He came to destroy the works of the devil. We can be convinced that Jesus' purpose for coming to the planet was to destroy what Satan was doing. It wasn't his will that this stuff would happen. Acts 10, 38, he says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around doing what? Jesus went around doing? Jesus went around doing? Good, good. And healing all who were pressed by who? The devil, the evil. I mean, it's just so clear. God was with them. God was with them. Paul wrote to the Roman believers in this, Romans 12, verse one to two. I know it's a lot of scripture, but man, it's life. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let your lives be lived out as worship to him. Verse two, he says, don't copy the behavior customs of the world. Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks about things. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn as you transform the way you are transformed by renewing your mind, by changing the way you think, you'll learn to know what? God's will. Someone's like, God, I want to know your will. What's your will for my life? He says, you're going to find out that God's will is what? There it is again, good and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. His will is good. His will is pleasing. His will is perfect. The truth is that God's will isn't always happening on this planet. And for some, that's been the hiccup. You think, well, if it's God's will, God's will always happens. It's, if, if, if it happens, it must be his will somehow. His hand is in it somehow, and his hand is in it somehow. But by the end this morning, I hope you realize where his hand is in it and what you'll do with that you know, what? you know how we know God's will isn't always happening? Look at Jesus. You know, Luke, Luke writes this account where Jesus was standing, and the verse is there, but he's standing um, looking over Jerusalem, and his heart is broken, and he, he, says, he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I want to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but what? You wouldn't let me. What do you mean you wouldn't? It's Jesus. He's God in a bod. He can do whatever he wants. Well, not always. Man, ah, this is what my desire was. This is what my will was for Jerusalem. 
but you wouldn't let me. It says in his hometown, he couldn't do any mighty miracles in his hometown. Why? Because of their unbelief. Jesus could do miracles everywhere, but not in his hometown. Why? Because there was a resistance to it. There was a part that they played. You know, as you look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his followers to pray in this way. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus tell us to pray for something that was always happening anyways? Why would he say, pray, your will be done? That would be like me this morning saying, Father, I pray today that water will be wet. Well, it always is. Father, I pray that ice will be cold. Father, I pray that the Leafs will lose in the first round of the playoffs. Those things are always true. Okay, maybe not the last one this year, but you follow... Why would he ask you to pray for something that's always happening? And maybe your wheels are spinning, and I hope they are this morning. Because too often, the prayer that we pray is not, your will be done. The prayer is, dear Lord, let my will be done. Here's what I want. Here's what our culture wants. We're so, we want comfort. We want it easy. We want everything to be for me, me, me. God, would you just do this for me? If you do this for me, I'll serve you. And then the consequences come. And we're like, well, <laughs> thy will be done. God, what happened here? God, I pray that you let me marry that person. Oh, she's amazing. She's an angel. God, what have you saddled me with this demon woman for? <laughs> oh, I want to smoke every day. I want to smoke every day. I want to smoke. God, why did you give me lung cancer? See, sometimes we rule out this idea that a lot of the suffering in our life, or some of it anyways, comes from our, our own free will choices. The gift that that God gave us was the choice to to be able to make choices. We just don't get to choose the consequences. Adam and Eve had it. You and I have it. Sometimes the suffering, we want to say, God, this is your fault. Actually, we should just have the mirror and look and say, you know what? Maybe these are consequences of choices that I've made. And something powerful about God is that he won't override someone's free will. He won't override someone's free will. Because for some, that's what you think. You're like, well, God, how could you let that person do this to me? How could you let that happen to me? How could you not stop that person? And that's a, that, to me, I mean, that is a viable question to have. God, why didn't you intervene? That person hurt me so bad as a child, my whole life is like this. God, why haven't you stopped my husband from doing this, this, and this? God, why, had, why didn't you stop my wife when she was, you know, going out with that other guy? God, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you stop? God, why didn't you keep my parents together? I prayed and I prayed. God, why? Why? That's a tough thought. But if you think it through this morning, and if you think of Hitler, Hitler killed 11 million people, or 11 million people died under his watch. 1.1 million children. Do you think God should have stepped in and said, okay, no, we're putting a stop to that? I think so. What about the 3,000 people who died at the Twin Towers? You think God should have stepped in and said, you know, we got to stop those pilots? Yeah, 3,000 people. Yeah, he should have stepped in. What about the 300 people who died in the plane crash because the pilot was drunk? It's 300 people. Yeah, God, you should have stepped in. What about the three people who died in the drunk driving accident just this past weekend? Yeah, God, you should have stopped in, stopped that guy from drinking. You should have intervened. What about the man who kills his two children? Yeah, God, you should have stepped in. What about the, 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 the man who beats his wife? You, yeah, God, you should have stepped in. 
What about the time we want to lie? God, you should have stepped in. What about the time we wanted to steal? We wanted to tell half-truth. We wanted to look at whatever we wanted to on the internet. We wanted to do whatever we wanted to do. The choices we wanted to make, should God have stepped in? The problem is there's no line. There's no spot where God can step in where free will just isn't eradicated. And so it isn't the fact that God doesn't want to, but it would go against his very gift of free will. And we're like, well, <laughs> you know, God's sovereignty, how come, how come that doesn't work? How come he can't step in? But he possesses supreme and ultimate power, but he gives people, because he has that realm of authority, he creates this spot where the decisions you make in that spot have consequences. And some of those some of those involve suffering. You think, man, why would he give us free will then? If he knew this would happen, why would he give us free will? Here's what C.S. Lewis said, and I want to read it twice because I don't want you to miss it. Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. Because free will, though it makes evil possible, it's the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. The truth is, there will be suffering in this life But I want to tell you this morning that suffering does not prove the absence of God. Your atheist friends may try and tell you, because there's suffering, there can't be a God. It's not true. It doesn't prove the absence of God at all. Suffering also does not deny the goodness of God at all. It doesn't prove his absence and it doesn't deny his goodness. Don't doubt that God can work in and through suffering. We won't all avoid suffering. That's a promise. And for some, you like, there's that thought, well, you know, there's the other side. Well, you know, God, God can't work. It's all the enemy. It's all the enemy. Can I tell you that God can work through suffering? He can. It's crazy when you talk to people. Some, man, for some, they would say suffering. It was the times of suffering where they actually were the closest to God. It's where they decided I got to fully rely on God. It's in those moments where like the power is out of my hands. God, I, I'm going deeper with you through this. God, I don't think it's your hand causing it, but I'm reaching for your hand to carry me through. Man, those people are amazing. Man, those people are inspiring. I know of people, they would tell you that it's through suffering is where they actually found Christ. It was because of suffering that knocked them off their their high horse life and they realized, wait, I'm not in control and and I need someone. And they found Jesus as a result. In life, including in suffering, the challenge for us is to leave the shallows and lean into his goodness no matter what. To trust his will, to trust his goodness for our lives. And why do I say that? I look at Jesus, I look at the apostles. And it's tough for me to talk about this, to be honest. I'm like sweating through it. No, unsure. We'll just finish like this. But as I look at Jesus, I look at Jesus in the garden. He had taught the disciples to pray, Father, your will be be done. Your will be done. He lives it out in this moment. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 in the garden. He's praying. He knows the cross is right around the corner. He knows it's coming. That's why he came to the planet and he prays, Father, if you're willing, if you're willing, please take the cup of suffering away from me. But I want your will to be done, not mine. God, if it's possible, take it away. If it's possible, but either way, I'm leaning into your will for, for my life. I want your will done. Second Corinthians, Paul writes to them. <laughs> he writes about this account. He's just candid with them. He says, you know what? <laughs> Here, he says, I, I've been serving the Lord. But he says, but I got this thorn in my flesh. 
I got this messenger of Satan that keeps to come, coming and attacking me. And for, for many, that's kind of the thing. Oh, that's God causing sickness. I don't think it's sickness because, you know, it talks about how Jesus would heal sickness, but God doesn't remove it. Paul prays three times, God, would you remove this messenger of Satan? And God's response to Paul is simply saying, you know what? Whether I can't or whatever, I, I'm, I won't. I'm not removing that, that thorn. I'm not removing that. And you know, I wonder if the messenger of Satan is a person, he talks about things like that. God's not gonna override someone's free will. Sorry, Paul, I know that this person is against you. I can't override that. But what I can tell you is my grace is sufficient for you. My hand is not causing this, Paul, but my hand is reaching out to you. My grace will carry you through if you'll just grab on. If you'll just grab on. Suffering's unavoidable, but I'll carry you through. And Paul's simply saying, God, I just want your will in my life. And for some of you, like, yeah, I want, God, I want your will in my life. I don't think I want suffering, but guess what his will for your life is? God, I want your will that I'd be a new creature in you. God, I want your will that I'd be conformed to the image of your son, regardless of what I go through. God, that if there's suffering, that it would produce perseverance and joy in me, like all of the writers to the New Testament churches talk about, that I would leave the shallows behind, that whatever it is, that I would fully lean in, fully trust your goodness in my life, regardless of what happens here, and that I would spend eternity with you, that my eternity would not be jeopardized by my perspective of suffering. I've seen it too many times where Jesus followers sit in the shallow end, hit suffering and hit the road. Man, some of them are your kids. Some of them are the teenagers that grow up and say, you know what? I just can't believe in a God because of suffering. And the result is that it could be the greatest, one of the greatest depth producing, faith challenging things in your life. I look at the early church close with this thought. Some of you are like, that's great. I can't take any more of this suffering. Because it ain't fun. But the early church, man, if you look at the early church, the disciples, the apostles, guess how many of them suffered? 100%. Yeah, man, in North America, we look at it and we think, oh, I'll be a disciple of Jesus until there's suffering. Many of them suffered. All of them suffered. Did they leave the faith? No. Did they get angry at God? No, why? Why, if anybody, they went through incredible things. Why would they not turn on God? I'm convinced that they were convinced of the goodness of God. They had seen it. They had seen the goodness of of Jesus. They experienced God's goodness in their life. They experienced salvation, said, I'm not giving that. He suffered for me. I'm willing to suffer for him. I'm not giving up on this at all. I'll just go deeper with him. And then you hear things like this, Philippians chapter three. Here's what Paul writes. He's like, you know what? I want to know Christ. Amen. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Amen. I want to suffer with him. Hello. No, no. Paul, go back. We'll agree with the first ones. He says, no, I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death. So one way or another, I'm going to experience a resurrection from the dead because they saw the bigger picture. And I encourage you this morning, If you're struggling with suffering, if you're doubting the goodness of God, don't allow the enemy to get you focused on just what's happening here and now because the picture is bigger. The picture is bigger. Romans 8 verse 18, Paul said this, what we suffer suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that that he will reveal to us later. Think about suffering for a minute. Even if you suffer, even if you suffer for a year, three years, five years, 10 years on this planet with something, even if you experience suffering in light of eternity, like a pinprick in time. 
Don't allow the suffering of the pinprick now to jeopardize the eternity stand before you. Your God is good. Your God is good all the time. There is no darkness in him. And regardless of what you're going through, maybe for you, maybe for you, you find yourself and you're in a place of suffering. You're like, man, you know, yeah, I did this to, my, I did this to myself. Health-wise, I'm in a spot where I'm sick. God's hand is like saying, hey, I didn't cause this, but my hand is reaching out for you. Will you grab it? I'm still good. I'll carry you through. Maybe your marriage is in shambles because of decisions you made. And God's hand saying, I didn't cause this. I know it hurts and it's suffering, but my hand is there and I, I will carry you through. Man, I've lost a loved one. Yeah, my hand, I didn't cause that, but just grab on and I'll carry you through. You don't have to be angry at me. My goodness supersedes all of that. Maybe you're going through persecution. My, my hand didn't cause it, but man, my hand is there to carry you through. So whatever it is for you this morning, would you grab on? Would you grab on to his goodness? Would you refuse to allow the enemy even any space in your mind at all to doubt God's goodness even for a minute, to think that it's his will for you is that it would be terrible no matter what you go through. You, you don't get to choose the suffering you go through. You don't get to choose that, but you do choose how you'll go through it and the perspective you have in it. That I can trust his goodness no matter what. When suffering hits, I'm going deeper. I pray that that'll be my response. When suffering hits, I'll go deeper. How about you? How about you? If it's the thing that hinders you this morning, man, I hope that that just takes that off off the table. To say, I don't have it. There's no reason for me not to trust him more. And for those of you who are wondering, maybe maybe you wondered about the goodness of God. Can Can I tell you something real quick? That God's goodness is so evident through what happened on the cross for us. When he sees a world of people he gave free will and free choice to use that free will against him to their own detriment. That each and every person now has this thing called sin breaking them from the inside. We don't just let God down. We let ourselves down all the time. I should have, I would have, I wish I could have. And I can't. There's something broken on the inside of me. And when you realize we got to give an account before God someday for that to realize I don't have a hope. I can't undo. I might do a lot of good things, but I can't undo what I've done, that those black marks are all still there. God, how do I get a clean slate? He's like, try harder. Go to church and give in the offering. No, he says, listen, you know what? You can't, but I will. You can't, but my will. Man, he sent his son for you to pay your price, pay the complete price, and simply ask you to trust in him. Experience the goodness of God. Experience salvation, experience life. Man, I encourage you this morning, if you find yourself stuck in the shallows, leave the shallows. The deeper's better. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to call you Father. We don't have to be afraid of you. Just confident of your incredible love for us. This morning, as people all over this place and listening in or experiencing life in, in different ways. Lord, would you, uh, would you by your spirit help translate this into each and every situation? Would you lead us and guide us into truth, Holy Spirit? Would you help us to live out courage and obedience to you? God, I pray that our world would see you for who you really are. At least then they have the choice to embrace you or not. But help us to live in that light this week as we go into our lives for you, but with you, would you shine through us?
Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the cross and what you did there for us. Oh, you deserve all praise for it. We're glad to bring it. It's in your name that we pray and in your name that we go. Amen.